Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Should our leaders be required to pass physical fitness exams? Dr. Michael Branzawaski sounds an alarm. Also, will the new congressional reform package help or hurt the inflationary economy? Financial investment counselor Ivan Alon provides analysis. Be careful is the operative term applicable. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now. Here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue. Good evening, it's Bruce Cook. It's time for the conversation live Sunday night here on Angels Radio, AM 830 KLAA. Radio listeners, I, I'm sure that you've been tuned in to all the news of the week, especially with the, the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago, the Trump residence in Palm Beach, Florida, taking the spotlight. And our show tonight is going to sort of touch on that. You might say, because we're going to talk about mental health, money, and politics. And that sounds like strange bedfellows, but I think if you stay tuned to our conversation tonight, you'll find that it's uh, quite, quite appropriate. My first guest tonight is a renowned physician who specializes in mental health, and I will introduce him in a moment. But before I do, I want to tease what we're going to talk about a little bit. Primarily, the fact based on what we've all heard and experienced and watched this week on the news, given, given what's happening in, in our political venue, I want to start by saying this. As a result of the rhetoric expressed, the words chosen by both sides of this fence, Democrat and Republican, but frankly, primarily the Republican response, the Trump response and the McCarthy response, those words, without a doubt, those words without a doubt motivated a gentleman in Cincinnati to put on a flak suit, get an AR-15 and a, and, a, and a nail gun and try to take out his anger on an FBI office. We know what happened. The gentleman lost his life in a, in a gun battle with authorities. Words matter, ladies and gentlemen, and words have something to do with mental health. How many of us have grown up thinking, I don't care how old, young or old, grow, we're, we're taught that words made a difference in terms of your thought process and that maintaining a cool quote unquote not 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 saying everything you might be thinking or feeling because it might have unpredictable consequences negative consequences was a fact of mental cognition think about that the other factor we're going to talk about tonight with our special guest is the issue of age and what kind of mental challenges come with age not just alzheimer's but various forms of dementia and other forms of cognition that dissipate as age comes, different for different people. Our President Biden is 79 years old. 
he's talking about re-election at the age of 81. The front runner, even though not declared, the assumed, alleged, whatever you want to call him, front runner, Donald Trump, is 76 years old, will be 78 in 2024, should he decide to pursue that office a second time. My guest tonight is Dr. Michael Brandt Zawoski. Dr. Brandt Zawoski is the senior executive physician at Hogue Hospital. He is also the Ron and Sandy Simon executive medical director, endowed chair of the Pickup Family Neuroscience Institute. Dr. BZ has been on the show before. He's an honored guest when he comes on because he's so smart. Sometimes he's a little hard to understand because he's so smart, but we ask him to join us tonight to talk about the importance of mental cognitive health in our leaders, in our president. How about our doctors himself? How about teachers? How about judges? How about airline pilots? Dr. BZ, are you there? I am, Bruce. It's nice to be with you again. Thank you so much for coming on. This is a very important subject. It is critical. And in this article that you have recently written, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. BZ is the author of many books, some 250 medical research project uh, papers and articles, and uh, he is a very, very highly regarded neuroscientist and radiologist. So with that background, in this article... Let me start by by taking a sentence out of what I have have just pulled from your article, and then I'd like you to comment on it to begin our conversation. Quote, this is Dr. BZ writing, quote, Should we screen for cognitive impairments in senior professions where lives depend on normal cognition, like airline pilots, doctors, even presidential candidates? Dr. BZ, say you. Well, first of all, Bruce, thanks thanks for asking me to come on again. And um, I just want to make sure the audience, for clarity's sake, understands that my opinions are those of my own uh, self and not those of my employer or the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Um, that uh, said, let me say the answer to your question is a very controversial one. Let me just give you one example at an institution that I love because I graduated from there and uh, actually was on the medical faculty there until very recently. At Stanford, there was an initiative to test professors for cognition, particularly in the medical school, and it was extremely controversial despite the scientific knowledge that we have about cognition and aging it opened up a can of worms, and at the end of the day, nothing ever happened, but a great discussion was had. Ex exp explain that controversy more. Go into detail, will you? Well, the controversy was that we shouldn't base cognitive screening on age alone. That's a fair point. There are a number of people who take medications that can affect cognition. Uh, there are, as we know, uh, folks that may have uh, illicit uh, drug use in their backgrounds, as well as legitimate drug use, such as uh, opiate medication for pain and other types of uh, 
neuropharmacological interventions. That's a very long word, but it means pharmacological uh, intervention that affects the neural condition of our of our brains. So the argument really turned on: Is it just age, or should we actually screen for cognition in everybody? And obviously, that's slippery slope, and nobody wants to go there. So that's where the controversy arose. And obviously, that was the pushback from those of us who are over a certain age, as you and I are. Um, but that's that's where the controversy lay. Well, because we're both o- we're clear. Doctor BC. We're both over thirty. Yes, that's right. But this, the science is clear. Uh, we know uh, that if we test, as we do at the Pickup Family Neuroscience Institute, we screen for memory loss uh, in folks over 65, and I'll tell you why in a second. But uh, we screen patients for memory loss, particularly those who are concerned because of family history of Alzheimer's or because they themselves are feeling them, their brains slipping and they're wondering if there's something they can do. And what we've learned is that one out of four people over the age of 65 who are screened for memory problems test abnormal. One quarter, one quarter, then let me extrapolate and go crazy and say one quarter of our population, our elder population. That's not an extrapolation. That is based on thousands and thousands of patients that we screen uh, on a yearly basis. Well, that's a pretty significant uh, number. That's pretty significant. Well, well, it is, except the good news is three out of four are not. And just because you forget where your car keys are, or like me, forget that I put my cell phone on the roof of my car when I drove off this morning. You're kidding. You still, no. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I know, that's terrible. But I was busy doing other things and uh, packing the car and put my phone up there while packing and and the, but anyway, the bottom line is that's normal for, for us to forget certain things in the heat of the moment when our brains are overloaded, perhaps. Uh, and so that's not abnormal memory. I'm talking about abnormal memory, one out of four over 65. The good news is three out of four are normal. And the better news is that of those one out of four, half of them have very, very curable conditions. Let me give you one common example, depression. We also screen for depression, and it turns out that depression affects memory. Um, If you then treat depression, the memory improves, and we've shown that in in our screening population. So imagine if, uh, if you are concerned, well, I don't want to know if I have abnormal memory because there's nothing we can do. And half the time, if you are abnormal, there is something you can do. We can treat your depression. We can look at your drug interactions. We can find out that your thyroid isn't functioning properly. We can find out that those relatively benign sleeping medications your primary care doc prescribed for you are impacting your memory to the point of testing abnormal on a test. So there are clearly reversible conditions in half of the people that test abnormal, the one out of four. Now, the other half may have mild cognitive impairment, which is a first stage of some type of dementia. So those are the scientific statistics. So when, when you take that, and by the way, why do we test? Let me answer that question. Because we know that healthcare costs triple when someone has a memory problem. 
um, they forget to take their medication. They forget to take their diabetes uh, medication, their blood pressure medication, and they end up in the emergency room for an infection or something like that. Uh, so uh, we know that um, abnormal memory costs our healthcare system three times as much as folks over 65 who have normal memory. So that's why we test, because we want to address what is the abnormality, if there is an abnormality, and if so, can we reverse it so that people have a better quality of life and don't get into trouble medically, physically medically. So that's the, that's the why of why we routinely should test for memory problems, just like we do for high blood pressure, just like we do for diabetes in people over a certain age group, just like we do for certain cancers. We should, as a national policy, do annual memory screening. The good news is Medicare has recently authorized primary care doctors to do just that, and we're working with our whole medical group, the 100-plus medical group at home, uh, to help them annually screen for memory problems in their, in their patients. So that's, that's why. And let's go back to how we started and what you mentioned about the Stanford test that caused so much conflict and, and, and stress. And I ask the question then, based on what you've just shared, should we test our leaders in any profession from the president to an airline pilot who is in that age range for what you're describing and then either help with treatment or figure something out is it fair? Is it right? Or would it ever happen? Well, I'll answer your question obliquely, Bruce. Donald Trump touted the fact that he passed a cognition test when he was in office, and he dared President Biden to take one, right? I so remember. There, yeah. <laughs> there is, there is uh, and the media, and not just the media, but uh, members of Congress have questioned the capabilities of some of their colleagues, most recently Dianne Feinstein, who is now 88 years old, and there are news uh, blips around her uh, failing cognitive skills that appeared with hush-hush statements by members of her own party that maybe she should think about quitting, and Gavin Newsom uh, wetting his uh, lips to uh, appoint another member in her place. That was that was in the media. That's not my opinion. That was clearly put out there in the L.A. Times and other publications. So uh, the folks in Congress have raised this issue about some of their members. Now, realize in Congress, we have a, a very aged group of folks on both sides of the aisle. It's, uh, it's the Chuck Grassley's, it's the Mitch McConnell's, but also the Senator Leahy's and uh, John Dingell in, in the House of Representatives and John Conyer. Uh, not to mention already we did Feinstein, et cetera. So the average age of, a, uh, of the U.S. Congress is 59 versus 38 of the average U.S. population. In the Senate, it's 64. Now, with age comes experience, and Diane Feinstein voiced that. And I remember the famous line that uh, Governor Reagan, then presidential candidate, used on, on his opponent, saying that he will forgive his opponent inexperience and young age uh, when the people refer to Ronald Reagan's right age. that was that was uh, one of the all-time well-known and well-quoted quips of of Reaganism indeed 
that said, Ronald Reagan suffered from Alzheimer's. It's been documented for the last two years of his presidency. And it was said that Nancy uh, Reagan uh, handled a lot of his affairs. And let's take the example of Strom Thurmond, uh, someone who served in the Senate until he was 100 years old, and someone of whom it was said that everything was done by his aides except the push of the button on a vote. So should we have those types of folks serving in Congress, making decisions, fortunately for our talented staff members to do that for them when they get beyond their capacities, but those folks aren't elected. So I think it's a fair question, uh, certainly uh, to ask whether or not there should be some type of bar below which one should consider stepping down from, from an authoritative and highly influential position, um, whether it's uh, in our political system and certainly in professions where people's lives do depend uh, on uh, the ability to have quick reflexes, uh, the ability to compute things quickly, maybe airline pilots and certainly maybe doctors as well. I, I certainly, you know, if, uh, if I... Uh, failed the memory test, uh, I, I, well, I no longer practice active uh, intervention in, in medicine. I, I am a consultant and, and provide my wisdom to my colleagues. But even though I didn't formally test myself, I, I realized that my colleagues are just faster processors than I am in the profession where fast processing is critical. So uh, voluntarily, I, I chose to go into a part of uh, my profession that requires more wisdom and less fast processing, right? Um, So that said, should there be a formal mechanism for something like that? And uh, clearly there are seniors, older folks, who are still quite brilliant, quite cognitively intact, and likely superior to some younger folks. So it's not the case that every person over 65 starts deteriorating. I know some some of my older colleagues are, are incredible, and uh, I, I enjoy uh, I enjoy discussing things with them and enjoy their not just their wisdom, but but their cognitive skills, their logic, etc. So it's not uh, it's not a broad brush. Again, three out of four folks are normal. Let me stop you there, Doctor. Uh, we need to take a first break, but when we come right back. Let's keep talking about this because you're right. It is necessary to test, but is it too controversial and is it is it too, uh, what's the word, draconian? And will too many people be hurt by it? Anyway, Dr. BZ, I'm Bruce Cook. Ladies and gentlemen, Angels Radio tonight, the Bruce Cook Conversation. I will be right back. Angels Radio, AME 30. At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care.
all want someone to love us and to take care of us and need us. And that's what we're doing here tonight on radio. We're talking about mental cognition in ourselves and in our leaders, in our professors, our doctors, our president. My special guest tonight, Dr. Michael Brandt Zawaski from Hogue Hospital. And before we went to break, Dr. Beasy, as he is known, was talking about the fact that there are so many brilliant people over in their senior years that are still very cognitively uh, proficient and brilliant. And there's, it would be foolhardy to lose that wisdom because of some arbitrary testing cutoff that if you were a certain age, that was it. No matter how, no matter what, that was it. So let me let me bring up Dr. Beasy the fact that this has been a big subject for airline pilots. It's been in the news. 65, they're out, no matter what. They are out at 65. Now, this is a little different because it is a very, very mechanical and technical skill. And the reason that they're out at 65 is because, based on science and based on all of the studies and surveys that you are very well aware of, at that age, things can happen more frequently than at a younger age. So... Would the same thing apply to the president of the United States because he's not flying a plane, but he's sitting next to a nuclear button? Dr. BZ, I know that you it's your opinion. You're not speaking for Hogue, but would you perhaps go there? Well, you know, I wouldn't go quite there, Bruce, but on the other hand, I would suggest that there are some triggers, right? So I wouldn't say everybody, but I, I would suggest there's some triggers. So let me use Trump as an example and, and Biden uh, just as a counterpoint. Uh, so it occurs to me that Trump's best defense for having carried off, uh, what is it, 11 uh, top secret documents to Malargo or whatever the hell they call it, uh, a lair, was, oops, I forgot. Right? I'm, I'm over 76 and oops, I forgot. Because, you know, I just packed stuff and I forgot that I didn't declassify this one and I classified. So that you could use potentially, if you could use the Twinkie defense, remember the defense of the kid that uh, did some harm and he ate too many Twinkies, couldn't you use a defense of aging and memory loss? Of course, Trump then touts that he's got normal memory. So just to, just to this an aside. Let me, comment on, let me comment on that before you go to Biden. There are many, many millions of people that accept that at face value, and they do so because, you know, not that I would know anything about it, but it could very well be true in one sense of the word or one sense of the idea. It's not that he specifically forgot. It's that it wasn't important to him. He wasn't dealing with it. His minions were packing up all the boxes and threw everything in there because they followed him blindly and just did what he said. And he said, pack everything up. We're leaving. This is not a man who is an intellectual reader. He is a, you know, seat of the pants, hard driving, gut leader. You know, it's hard to believe that he didn't know there were secret classified documents in there, but perhaps he just didn't care. Well, don't forget also, Bruce, that uh, there were members of his cabinet that wanted to institute, what is it, Article 25, that says a, pre uh, the 
president can be removed when they're mentally incompetent. That is that not, is known. That is correct. And, and, and so there there are there is a form of dementia known as frontotemporal dementia, where your the frontal lobes of your brain uh, degenerate, and they make you impulsive. They make you uh, uh, emotionally uh, labile. Um, they disinhibit you, so you do things that normally you wouldn't do in a societal context. And people reasonably argue that some point uh, about Trump from actually his earlier days, not just when when uh, he was when his presidency was finishing, but uh, in the earlier days, whether he actually had some frontal lobe issues and. and Again, we, all we have to prove that he didn't was the statements that he made and his doctor made that everything was fine and that he passed a test. Let me turn to Biden. Now, Biden is almost 80. He will turn 80 in November. So he said 79, but his birthday is in November. So he will be running uh, from 82 to 86. Now, President Biden also has some medical history as a significant a majority of seniors have more than one condition. He has some uh, major conditions. He has some major conditions. Very one serious. It's been reported that he has neuropathy, and um, there is, I don't know what he's being treated for as far as his neuropathy is concerned, and, uh, but he clearly has neuropathy that's been documented. There are some neuropharmacological agents that are used to treat neuropathy. And he also suffered from two cerebral aneurysms, brain aneurysms, one of which ruptured and bled into his intracranial space. He describes that in his book. It's well documented. Um, they uh, were able to seal off his aneurysm uh, from bleeding further. 50% of people who rupture an aneurysm die. And another half of the survivors have permanent disabilities. So he's a very fortunate man to have, to have survived a ruptured intracranial aneurysm for which he had open skull surgery. He then had a second surgery for an aneurysm discovered during that episode. Uh, when, once he recovered, they treated a second unruptured aneurysm to prevent it from rupturing in the future. So here's someone who is 80 years old, almost 80 years old, someone who has uh, some neurological nerve conditions called neuropathy, and someone who's had two brain surgeries. And even and again, we rely on his doctors to say, oh, he survived it just fine. He has no deficits. But it, it's hard to imagine two brain surgeries uh, leaving the brain entirely intact. The fact is, the brain is very plastic, and you don't need, you can have some significant brain damage and still function quite normally. And clearly, he's been functioning normally uh, in the broad sense of the word normally, right? But should, let's, let's just come back to your question, should everybody be screened? No. Uh, that said, if someone has some significant triggers uh, where screening should be considered, I think that's a fair question to to say yes. Who's to say what a trigger is? That's the big, the big unanswered question, and, and nor can we answer that question. That question could have been posed when President Reagan started showing signs of decline, um, and I'm sure he was tested, but uh, it was certainly not made public or uh, discovered by the general media until obviously much, much later.
Dr. BZ, I thought I think you have brought us full circle in a very intelligent and rational way. And uh, yes, the answer is yes. In certain circumstances, we need to test people that are in charge of our lives, our futures, and they should be willing to participate. Um, should it be legal? We'll have to leave that up to the Congress and and to the judges. But I thank you so much for your input tonight on radio. It's been very eye-opening. I think a lot of people had no idea how serious some of these cognitive issues are. One in, one in four and over 65, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway. Well, that's just memory, Bruce. That's just in, memory. In memory. memory. And half and half are collectible. So I say thank you so much for your input, and please come back again. Dr. BZ, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Thank you. you Time for our, our half-hour break, people. It's Bruce Cook and the conversation tonight. We're going to segue from mental health into financial health, or perhaps mental health in finance, when we welcome our guest, Ivan Ilan coming on after the break. So stay with me. Get a little OT, but it ain't new to a feet. Let me drop bands for that two in your teeth. He let away I just turn that pool to the Angels Radio. AME 30. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News and World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Hiccup Family Neurosciences Institute. Compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 949-516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. If the woman you love, your mom, wife, daughter, sister, partner, or friend is on a downward spiral from substance abuse and doesn't know where to turn, New Directions for Women can help. It's a Costa Mesa-based addiction treatment facility that has the answer. Since 1977, New Directions for Women has helped more than 5,000 women change their lives, returning them to sobriety, healthy living, restoring love and hope, and providing dignity for them and for their families. Don't waste another day. The woman you love needs your help now. Call New Directions. The number is 888-786-0509. Once again, call 888-786-0509 or visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. That's New Directions for Women. They know recovery. I hope that my next guest, Ivan Ilan, is going to tell us all that everything's going to be all right, just like Lizzo dancing into the night tonight on Sunday. I'm Bruce Cook. It's Angels Radio AMA 30 KLAA. 
This is the conversation continuing. If you're just joining me, you've missed Dr. Beezy talking about cognition and mental health and the idea that we should perhaps consider testing people in very, very important positions of power to make sure that their mental cognition is appropriate when dealing with life and death, death issues. We transition now to the financial world, the markets, and in this week also, besides all we what we talked about earlier in, in our program together about what's happening in Washington, the, Mar the Congress, as you all know, has passed landmark legislation that is going to affect the financial world. Primarily, part of that, part of that uh, big bill is the eventual uh, taxation of corporations with a minimum 15% rate for billion-dollar corporations and also a 1% uh, rate on stock buyback. So I would like to welcome Ivan to the broadcast, but let me tell you a little bit about him. He's been on before. He's a regular on this show because I also feel he is extremely intelligent and offers incredible information. But just as a little bit of background before he says hello, Ivan says he bought his first stock at the age of 13 and knew at that point that this is what his life would be all about. He began in the business following edu his education uh, in the late 1990s and since has raised and managed over $1 billion in both senior portfolio management and institutional sale sales roles with Fortune 500 companies. He is the founder of a company called Align Wealth Advisors Investment Management, AWAIM. He is headquartered in Los Angeles, Century City, but operates around the world. Ivan, say hello on radio. Hi, Bruce. Good to be with you. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Okay. Sure. The Republicans are saying this this new bill is disaster. It's going to cost the, the middle class lots of money. It's going to increase the deficit. It's going to cause all kinds of problems in the corporate world in terms of debt restructuring. The Democrats are celebrating and sending water balloons and air balloons and champagne bottles into the air. Where do you stand? Yeah, I would say that it's... Uh you know, uh, obviously, if you're going to expand programs, you need money uh, to support those government programs. And so the Democrats have been working very, very hard to pass this legislation. And it uh, looks like they're you know, going to be successful in doing that. The problem, if there is a problem, or I should say challenge with this, is that the timing is certainly not ideal um, at all by any stretch of the imagination because uh, from my perspective companies are going to have a unique challenge already and a pretty big one over the next couple of years where you know interest rates are much higher now and and it's quite likely they'll continue to go a bit higher and so when companies have their bonds, coming due and maturing over the next couple of years, they're going to be rolling that debt or refinancing that debt 
at these much, much higher interest rates. And we're not just talking a little bit higher for them. It's like 100% higher than it was just a couple of years ago. And what if they can't afford to do that? Well, this is the problem. Uh, it's going to squeeze uh, you know, certainly the, the, the profit margin for corporations. And this is assuming all things are equal, meaning top-line revenue for companies will remain similar. But you know that's also a bit of a headwind because the U.S. dollar is so incredibly strong right now uh, that you know countries are opting not to buy U.S. goods and services because their stuff is cheaper. Uh, so, so there is a top-line revenue headwind already for U.S. corporations, and now there's a bottom-line headwind because of um, you know these additional issues. So it's it, it, it's certainly not good timing. Um, to, to roll out more friction for corporations, whether it's a minimum tax or a 1% stock buyback, which is usually very, very good for shareholders uh, because it reduces the amount of supply of stock out there, which uh, any you know, just basic supply and demand, you reduce the supply of something, assuming just the same level of demand, you actually get an increase in price. So, so it's been a very useful tool, and uh, now there will be more uh, friction to roll out uh, something as simple as a stock buyback, and, and the CFOs are going to be having a lot of other things to consider, uh, meaning they're going to have to cut back uh, because corporations do not like to have any kind of reduction to their uh, credit rating. It's a very, very important thing to the CFOs and, and the C-suites of these corporations. So it's certainly not a uh, an ideal time to be moving uh, in this direction, in my opinion. What about companies that really get in trouble with what you're describing and can't survive? Will they be gobbled up by competitors? Will there be more monopoly situations? And how will that affect the overall economy and industry, stock market, and people's lives? Or will it? Well, anytime you have companies getting some uh, uh, you know, challenge and uh, being able to survive or weather any kind of economic, uh, you know, situation or changing one, which rapidly is devolving, uh, the mergers and acquisitions is always um, a great opportunity for very healthy companies that have cash, that have very high credit ratings. They can absolutely start gobbling up smaller players, and um, and eventually, of course, that gets around to antitrust issues. Uh, which you also see Congress uh, make an issue uh, over from time to time. So, so it is definitely uh, it, it's a it's a it's a big challenge. And and of course, you know, a lot of a lot of the any administration really forget you know the political parties, but they're really always so focused on delivering results during their administration. In reality, the economy in the United States is so big. Uh, and there's so many components, usually those results spill over into you know, a subsequent administration. Uh, so so there's, a, there's a bit of political engineering going on right now as well to deliver some uh, wins before midterms. And, uh, and that, of course, doesn't necessarily mean that it's in the best interest of uh, you know, the U.S. economy. Good point. Also, it gives me an opportunity to segue into a question, very pointed question, about the political ramifications in the financial world overall. 
most people would agree that a majority of investors, a majority of professionals such as yourself, tend to take a more conservative approach to their political and financial futures. Although that has changed a lot in recent years, and there's a lot of progressive money in the, in the market, and things are, are different. The question is, and I don't know if you can even begin to answer this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How much political bias, either left or right, do you think exists in the financial world? And how much does it affect the outcome for the everyday person making whatever investments they can to save some money and to have a retirement? I think it's actually a very good question, and, and I think the answer is rooted in behavioral finance. And in behavioral finance, we look at uh, something uh, simple enough, as you think of uh, it's human behavior in the financial markets. And, um, and I think the, what's helpful about knowing something about behavioral finance is that it's based on essentially two emotions, fear and greed. And so our capital markets operate on fear and greed. And so when you add politics into the financial markets, you, you also have that polarization, which is you know, taxes, uh, bad. You know, it's like no one likes taxes. It's sort of an immediate knee-jerk reaction to dislike taxes at a corporate level, at an individual level. Uh, but they're not necessarily um, actually completely bad. But there is, you know, the Laffer curve, you probably remember economic advisor to Ronald Reagan back in the day, the, you know, Art Laffer, he had this really, uh, I think, elegant way of looking at uh, taxes and uh, the ideal amount of tax. Zero percent tax is not realistic for a government to operate. One hundred percent tax is also not an ideal situation from which to operate. It's uh, somewhere in between. So that's the good news. We know it's somewhere in between. But you can see behaviors change very rapidly at a corporate level when new taxes get assessed because the first question is, well, can we afford the people we have on the payroll? And there's been a lot of hiring that's gone on over the past few months, uh, at, which is very nice uh, to see, I suppose. We're still millions below pre-pandemic levels. So uh, there's a lot more that needs to happen. And that's probably going to be difficult to see if you've got, uh, you know, more more taxes that, uh, you know, corporations are going to have to uh, pay. But also the fact that their debt service coverage through these much higher interest rates that they're going to have to refinance into, that's, uh, I mean, that's really staring them in the face. And, and really, the markets haven't at all at this point factored that in to, to risk or risk perception, even within our fixed income markets as we look at them Do you today. find that strange that the market has not factored that in? Not really, because, you know, the markets move so uh, erratically day to day, and there's so much volatility. I mean, the amount of plus or minus 2% or 3% days that we can see in, in the recent you know couple of years, um, it's way more than we've ever seen in the past decade. So, so the market volatility has just increased significantly, and uh, with that level of increase, you you know it, it, it just creates 
tremendous, tremendous opportunities on one hand, but also a lot of danger as well because people can make knee-jerk reactions and sell at very inopportune times. And, um, and we certainly may have, you know, a lot more challenge ahead over the next, you know, six to 12 months as corporations are faced with these higher refinance rates. Speaking of your Laffler equation, somewhere between zero and 100 percent and taxes, mm. Americans are a little nervous. A lot of Americans are a little nervous about the news, positive or not, this week with all of the legislation passed. Regarding the fact, and this is being gossiped, I hear this daily, you know, passing fancy in a market on a street corner. I hear, why is why is the uh, why is the government investing huge amounts of money to to hire eighty some thousand new tax auditors, and what's that going to mean for me? And uh, wouldn't it be better to simplify the tax code and make it more? fair or more understandable for people rather than spending multi hundreds of millions of dollars hiring more people to take more money from the middle classes that might be a a stretch it might be a biased statement i'm repeating what i'm hearing from people please comment well obviously it's a huge number of irs agents that are going to be hired where are they going to find them that's what i want to know it really it's kind of mind-boggling i mean they can put it out there but they're you know ultimately they're going to train people so there'll be a lot of career changers people that come in have no prior financial experience necessarily sorry that sounds um, good very, yeah it sounds really yeah, good right, exactly uh-huh. but you know sounds it's, perfect it's, 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 this is how the government uh, does things sounds you know, perfect idea, ivan i love people. it yeah no yeah. no exactly it's and 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 of course they're going to be assigned to the masses, because the people that really have an ability to uh, challenge the IRS when they show up and do an audit are people with means, people that have a lot of money. So and that also, IRS, have, that also have major accountants and, and accounting firms right, and financial exactly, exactly. experts that have prepared their taxes to begin with. Precisely. There's a lot of sophistication. So isn't this end. unbelievably ironic that the Democratic Party is bragging about this? When the rank yeah. and file Democrats are going to suffer. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I, I would agree with that. It's a, certainly a very, very. It's definitely a, a strange message that they would put out that this is something that's going to be, you know, really positive for the majority of people. Yeah. And oh boy. They, oh uh, boy. Can't can't you wait to meet your that. new tax auditor? <laughs> Listen, we got to take a break, and we're going to come back because I want to talk about inflation, and I want you to tell me what's going to happen because. You're smarter than I am, and I have no clue. Ladies and gentlemen, Ivan Elan is on the line. We're talking your money, and we will be right back. It's The Conversation live tonight, Angels Radio. Stay with us. Angels Radio. AM 830. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine Program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash sign help let me take you fishing so step 
Ivan, anything could happen ever since I met you. That's what the radio is telling me tonight. Welcome back. We only have a few minutes, and I want your crystal ball information about inflation and where we're going and where we've been and what's hopeful and what isn't hopeful. Mm. I, I, it seems that inflation is waning. Uh, there's still a, a very seemingly tight labor market, and I would say if you're trying to get a read on where inflation is heading, you want to look at supply chain issues, which are by and large being uh, solved and, and getting smoothed out. So that isn't going to be uh, as much of an issue. Instead, it looks like we'll build up a lot of inventory. So you could actually see inflation go down pretty quickly uh, and, and, and very rapidly, which would be a nice thing. But the labor market is, is really weird. I mean, there's no fancy way to put it. it it's just very strange because you have more people that have come back into the workforce, more people working, but productivity has been negative over the past two quarters. So even though all these people are coming back into the workforce, what are they doing? So what uh, are they doing? What is your impression? Yeah. What are they well, doing? Uh, well, I, I think there's, there's – and I've heard some government economists talk about this – is that it's a bit more challenging now more than ever to try and uh, measure how much people are working, especially because of the work-from-home phenomenon. So there is this uh, – there's a bit of a lack of transparency, but ultimately what you're seeing is people, when they work from home, are not working. Uh, so it's kind of a fallacy, that, uh, which is why I think so many companies have really demanded or tried to demand for people to be back in the office. And that's worked for some and really not worked very well for others, And uh, which is also part of the big movement of people in our workforce from one industry or sector to another. A lot of job change, a lot of resignations, uh, people starting their own businesses. And, of course, all of that is very good. We, we really uh, enjoy being in a, in a free entrepreneurial society. The only issue is most new businesses fail within three years. So, so there's, there's, there's this other element of people that have left the workforce to go do their own thing that the statistics are that many of them won't necessarily be you know, successful. So that is going to create an, an added layer of pressure, um, you know, as we look into the future with, with some of this economic uh, headwinds. And so corporations are facing it. People are going to be facing it. And uh, it, it definitely is a, a precarious uh, outlook at this point. What does the fall look like? <laughs> what does the fall look like inflation-wise? Will we continue to see a, a decline or is it going to ramp back up because of the supply chain situation? We should. We uh, so long as the supply chain issues continue to be worked out the way they have been, uh, and 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 so long as uh, the, the Ukraine uh, war that that doesn't really escalate, we should see that at least goods, um, food, uh, energy, those things should moderate. So that will certainly help with core inflation. And, um, and, of course, there's ramping up of inventory across all these other goods. So, so overall, we would expect that inflation should moderate. Now, getting anywhere near the Fed's target of 2% any time in the near future, meaning over the next 6 to 12 months, that's really very difficult to see how we're going to get back to 2%. And the Fed continues to be pretty obsessed 
with that 2% number. Three to four is probably more reasonable, um, and three to four we can live with. Yeah, but uh, 2% very ambitious. And you mentioned very. you mentioned the war in Ukraine. That's a wild card. Russia's yeah. involvement, uh, the administration continues to blame the problems in Europe and in Ukraine on Russia, and of course also all of the uh, unrest in the Eastern world uh, as affecting the world economy and creating inflation for everyone, not just us. Quickly, is this a world situation or are we, do we have our blinders on? Uh, you know, there's, I mean, because of the interconnectedness of, of economies throughout the world, there's absolutely uh, an inflation contagion that can happen, especially when it comes to uh, something as simple as cereals and grains, which Ukraine, uh, you know, who, who knew that they were such a big uh, source of grains and cereals for the world? Uh, and and certainly folks have, uh, you know, seen that firsthand when they go to the grocery store and uh, buying simple things like bread and cereals, uh, prices are dramatically higher. So there is an absolute uh, interconnectedness to this and, and not so easily replaced. Uh, that's the other issue is, you know, a lot of farmland has been destroyed. Right. Uh, I need I need and to stop so, us. I need to stop us now yeah. because I want you to give your uh, uh, website or, or phone number out, and then I have to say goodbye. Yeah, it, uh, if the folks want to visit us online at alignwealth.com, that's A-L-I-G-N-E, wealth.com. And there's a ton of resources there that uh, people can poke around at and, and certainly give us a call at 310-795-0622 anytime. We'd be happy to chat with you. With that, I say thank you, Ivan. Great show today. Lots of information. You, Appreciate it so much. Ladies and Take gentlemen, care. thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, honor to have you listening. Keep listening to Angels Radio. We'll be back again next Sunday night for another time to be together and share some information. Stay healthy. Good luck. You've been listening to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear the Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. <laughs>